Blog Talk Radio. Kingway Fox's beard look is acting very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very hot. Four drive, black alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fock is dead, Wolf is wet, Chekhov's wearing red. Tita's cat, Kim Peck's hat, Q is had enough of that. Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are And good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. With that awesome theme song, it's time for another episode of Trek Talk, and I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim. And with me, as usual, are my Trek experts. We'll start off with Charles. Charles is out in Las Vegas. How you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good. A little bit chilly here this week. We actually started the week off with a little bit of snow around the edge of the city. And we're finally wow. up to the 50s today, which <clears throat> this is about the warmest it's been all week so far. Then we may see more tomorrow. We, uh, we're we in a cold alert warning tomorrow. If you're outside for more than 30 minutes, you risk getting frostbite. So uh, I'm sure Leslie's probably living in a block of ice up in Saranac Lake. But, uh, yeah, it's it's cold here in Vermont, that's for sure. And we also have with us Eric. Eric's out in Portland. How are you doing tonight, Eric? I'm doing really good. It is definitely not a frozen solid block of ice here. We're probably uh, mid-40s, typical kind of dampish uh, northwestern weather, uh, winter weather. I I love it. It's close to my heart. Uh, and uh, I'm just having such a great time and super excited about our topics for tonight. It's going to be so much fun. Yeah, guys, I don't know if you heard the news, but Star Trek Attack Wing is back, kind of, and uh, we're going to talk about it. So you want to stick around for that. But first, we're going to talk about the Guardian of Forever, 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 Forever. And uh, we've got some Star Trek news to dig into. And, of course, we've got our birthdays and our fan shout-outs and all kinds of fun stuff. So welcome to the show. Our phone number here is the same as it's been for the last four years, 646-668-2433. We'll be here for the next couple of hours, so give us a call, and we'll get you on the air. We'd love to hear from you guys. You guys. Fans are really important to us, so give us a call. We'll get you on the air. Um, you can join us on our Facebook page at Trek Talking and A&D Beyond. We have over 30,000 followers there. That's right, 30,000. We seem to be picking up about 1,000 a week. So hopefully you'll be part of that 1,000 next week, unless you already are. Um, so that's pretty, pretty cool. And... Uh, yeah, so let's dive right in and get started. So, Eric, why don't we go around the globe with our numbers? 
Oh, yeah, you bet, Jim. Well, tonight in our number one international uh, listener spot, we still have the United Kingdom uh, with 4.35% of our listeners down just a, a couple of hundreds from last week, but still at the top. So thanks to the UK. It's great to have you guys in that number one spot. In that number two spot is the folks down in uh, Australia with 3.33% of our listeners, also down a couple of hundreds, but solidly in that number two spot. So thank you so much, particularly to that one dude in Australia. You know who you are, but also to all yeah, of our listeners guy. from down there. <laughs> in, yeah. our number three, in our number three spot this week, we have the folks from Scandinavia, Norway, with 2.77% of our listeners. Now that is down more than a tenth from last week. Uh, I guess, you know, international listeners are either down this week or perhaps we just gained a lot more uh, folks from the United States. I think that's that would make more sense, uh, given that all our numbers are still going up. So thanks to Norway for being our number three international listener this week. Our number four spot, the folks up north, Canada, 2.65% of our listeners. And in the number five spot, holding steady is Ireland with 2.46% of our listeners. Thank you to all of our listeners, both domestic and international. We love you all. We seriously probably wouldn't do it without you. We would just like get on a Discord with each other every once in a while, and that would be so boring. It's much more fun to do it on the air. Thank you so much. Yeah, and, and as I said at the top of the show, guys, go to our Facebook page, give us a like, give us a follow, and tell us where you're from. Because at the top of every show, like we're about to do, we give fan shout-outs, and that's where we say hello to you. That's right, you right there, individually. It's kind of our way of saying thank you for being a fan. You can get a shout-out by just going and telling us where you're from. If you see a little heart next to your name from Trek Talking, that means I've chosen your name and you're going to be on the show. So keep an eye out for that. And Eric, why don't you start us off with our fan shout-out. And you better believe it. Our very first fan shout out this week goes out to Claire Elizabeth Walker from Doncaster in South Yorkshire, part of that uh, UK pack up at the top of our international listeners. So thank you so much, Claire Elizabeth Walker, for being along uh, for the ride with us. So fun to have you here. Um, we're also saying hello and thank you so much this week to Terry Myers Christensen, born and raised in Michigan, living in Crossville, Tennessee now. Terry. Thank you for listening. It's awesome to have you as well. Barry Vosloo in South Africa. Wow. That's super cool. That's, uh, I think that might be our first one from South Africa that we've uh, highlighted. So Barry Vosloo, thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, that's totally cool. I think you're right. I don't, I don't recall having a South Africa before. Yeah. I think you're right. I think Barry's the first. Thank we you, Barry. We always notice it when we, yeah, we always notice when we've got new listeners. So yeah, thanks Barry. Uh, Amanda J. Phillips from near Guildford in Surrey in the UK. Thank you, Amanda. That's, that's awesome. Another UK listener. And my final one is Sydney Ferreria from Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. Thank you so much, Sydney, for being here with us. Charles, who you got this week? Oh, I got Daniel Wong from the Bay Area, California, across from San Francisco. My guess is he's probably Isn't that where they keep the nuclear vessel? It is. The nuclear yes, vessel. That is. That is where they keep Yep. Yes. <laughs> Alameda is in the Alameda is in East Bay. In fact. <laughs> then we got Paul Winstone 
from Wales, UK. Jane Cedrus from New England in the New England area, northeast part of the U.S. of A. We got top fan Mathis Linders from Bremen, Germany, and Savella. Belushi from Greta, Italy. Oh, Italy sounds interesting. Yeah, cool. well, quite a bit about yeah. the Bay Area back in the 80s. Jim, what about you? And we're going to wrap up our fan shout-outs. We're going to say hello and thank you to Ella Louise Takis from Melbourne, Australia. There's another person from Down Under. I wonder if Ella knows the dude. I'm just wondering. Yeah, maybe. you two should get together and maybe call us. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would also like to say thank you very much to Fran Suddard from Lindsay, Ontario, Canada. Thank you, Fran. And a huge live long and prosper to Pat Derby from Jackson, Michigan. And Magna Fuss from Poland. And finally, last but definitely not least, we'd like to say live long and prosper and kapla to Russell Wilf, Illinois. You know, guys, we couldn't do the show and wouldn't do the show without you guys. Otherwise, the three of us would just be talking at each other, and no one wants to hear that. So thank you. Thank you so, so much for listening and giving us your support. And please head over to our Facebook page if you're a first-time listener and tell us where you're listening to us from, and maybe we'll give you a shout-out on the next show. So this is the part of the show where we do our birthdays, which means we have to have a birthday. That was not a Klingon song. You know, it's not, and he says that every week, but we don't care. We like it, War. So, this is the part of the show where we do our Star Trek birthdays, but we always like to start off the Star Trek birthdays with remembering those members of our Star Trek family that are no longer with us. And um, for that, we turn to Eric. So, Eric, who do we have uh, in our Star Trek family that's celebrating birthdays that are no longer with us this week? Yeah, this was a uh, a hot month uh, for folks in the Star Trek world. Uh, there are some some really powerful folks in here. The first person that we're uh, sending remembrances out to this week, uh, who would have had a birthday, is Bart Larue, and this is a uh, person that if you don't know the name, I guarantee uh, you know the voice. Um, he provided. Uh, numerous voiceovers for uh, the uh, original series. Um, some of them included things like uh, Trelane's father uh, in the Squire of Gothos, um, the announcer in Bread and Circuses. Uh, he was a, the voice of the Provider One in uh, the Game Masters of Triskelon. Uh, he was a newscaster in Patterns of Force. He played Yarnak in the Savage Curtain. Uh, but both in TOS and in Discovery, the, the role that his voice is probably most well-known for uh, is our big topic for tonight, or one of our big topics for tonight. He is the voice of the Guardian of Forever, which I think is pretty cool that they brought him back from TOS uh, and, uh, you know, used his voice again, uh, kind of regenerated, I guess, uh, for Discovery. Very, very cool. Uh, 
so yeah, Bart LaRue no longer with us, but but what an impact on the Star Trek world. Now, I did he do the voice of the Guardian of Forever on the animated series as well, or or was it just uh, the live was, action? He, you know, he was not credited with that in his write up when I did my research, but uh, but I did not also look up who the voice was in the animated series, and I will tell you. I watched yesteryear again today, and I do think the voice might be a little different. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say maybe it was somebody different, <laughs> but I don't know for sure. But I, he is not credited in his memory alpha page uh, with the animated series. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, he's done enough. Uh, he's done enough memory. Oh my gosh! Yeah, tell cool. me. I mean, well, you remember Yarnak from the Savage Curtain, that that kind of like weird rock monster thing. Uh, I mean, that's another one that I just remember so clearly from TOS. So so cool. Uh, so, Bart LaRue, we miss you. Um, we're also remembering this week Gregory Sierra, uh, and he is actually a pretty famous actor. Um, he's known in the Star Trek world as, um, as N-Tech. Um, they, they never actually say his first name on the, on the show, but they later kind of say, well, in the script it was Corbin. Uh, so, N-Tech, uh, who's a Cardassian uh, that works for the Obsidian Order from the DS9 episode Second Skin, um, he's also a pretty famous actor for a bunch of other stuff. Um, he was in, uh, uh, well, gosh, I'm just drawing a blank right now. I had it all in my head, but anyway, <laughs> pretty famous actor. You would recognize him if you saw his face. Um, so Gregory Sierra, uh, we miss you as well. We're also remembering this week, Mart McChesney, uh, who played Armis in the TNG episode, Skin of Evil. And if uh, that rings a bell, uh, it's probably because you know that that was the episode in which uh, Tashiar died. And uh, it's kind of interesting when you look up uh, what Mark McChesney had to go through to get in that Armis suit, which was pretty uncomfortable, I guess, pretty all-encompassing, uh, you know, pretty hot, uh, that sort of thing. He also was in one other episode of Star Trek. He played a Shellyak director in the TNG episode, The Ensigns of Command. So there you go. Two TNG episodes on his resume. So Mark McChesney. And, you know, uh, speaking of Armist, I, I saw Jonathan Frakes at a convention early, early on, maybe second season of TNG. And he said that getting dragged into that goo was one of the most disgusting things that he ever did. He said they made it out of black ink and Metamucil. Ugh. And uh, he wow. said it was disgusting. <laughs> oh, man. If you can imagine that. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, that, that does not sound like fun at all. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, we're also remembering uh, another person, another heavy hitter, I will say, uh, who would have had a birthday this week, uh, Mark Daniels. Um, and he is known from the directing world of Star Trek. He is credited with um, 14 episodes uh, from TOS. Uh, he wrote an episode of the animated series. Um, so he was involved very heavily in Star Trek. And then his, he kind of goes even deeper uh, because he was very, uh, he was actually the director of the first 38 episodes of I Love Lucy, which is what gave him the, of course, connection to Lucille Ball and Desi Lou Studios, which of course is what connected him to Roddenberry. Um, so that is pretty cool uh, that he was so, you know, kind of knew the Desi Lou folks first and then got involved into the Star Trek world from that. Um, 
directed so many of the famous episodes that you would know, you know, The Menagerie, I Mud, Doomsday Machine, Assignment Earth, um, Changeling by Any Other Name, The Man Trap, Who Mourns for Adonis, <laughs> Mirror Mirror, Court Martial, uh, Private Little War, Naked Time, Space Seed, Spock's Brain. I mean, is that not the list that you would say is like the top? If you were to just name one episode of TOS, what would you name? It would be one of those, right? <laughs> So, yeah, more than likely, he's yeah, he's done yeah, some Mark good Daniels. ones, that's for sure. He, he's really done some good ones. So uh, we are remembering Mark Daniels this week, who would have had a birthday. And our final final remembrance this week is Arnold Moss, uh, who uh, only had one role in Star Trek, but it's a good one. Uh, he played Anton Caridian uh, slash Kodos the Executioner in the TOS episode Conscience of the King. Um, he was a kind of classically trained Broadway actor and was brought in for that particular role. And you can tell the way that he plays that role uh, in that episode, it's very clear that he has kind of a theatrical sense to him. Uh, and it, I think it helps that he's also then playing an actor <laughs> in the episode. So uh, really kind of a, a very iconic role. Uh, Arnold Moss playing Kodos the Executioner. Um, we miss you. So that is all. And you know what? This week. Yeah. I keep I keep remembering that that awesome book that we read, and I, I'm probably going to get yeah. the name wrong because it's so close to the other. Was was it Drastic Measures? Or yes. Desperate Measures. Yeah. Was it Drastic Measures? Drastic not, Measures. Desperate Hours. Drastic, drastic Measures. Yeah. That book was so yeah. good, and uh, it had Lorca on his. Uh, it had Prime Lorca on a mission and he, and Giorgio shows up and he's hunting down the executioner Kodos and you get the whole backstory and how he escaped. And that book was absolutely top notch. I think it was by Dayton Ward. If I remember correctly, we had him on the podcast. Yeah. We got to talk about that with him and that was, that was so cool. And, you know, I thought of Arnold Moss as I read Kodos, the executioner, like his was the face that came to mind. Yeah, so, you know, if you guys are looking for a good Star Trek book to read, uh, check that one out. And then go Mm -hmm. watch Conscience of a King because it is a phenomenal read. And I just, semi-spoiler alert, when you finish the book, there's a a post-credit scene, or in this case, chapter, uh, that you need to read. Don't Mm -hmm. put it down. Read those last three pages. You, you you won't regret it. So, yeah, nope. I just wanted to throw that in. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it was a good All right, well, It was a really uh, good Charles, book. Charles, let's hit the, the birthdays of the folks who are still with us. All right. Let's start off with Olivia Diabo, who played Amanda Rogers in the TNG episode True Q. We got Lou Antonio, who played, I think, a very good role and a very, very decisive role in TOS. He played Loki in the T in the TOS episode. Let this be your last battlefield. Great episode. Definitely one of the, definitely one of the episodes that's iconic, to showing how much Star Trek spent in the political realm mm-hmm. and discussing what was going on. Yeah. 
we got writer David Gerald, who wrote for episodes I Mud, Trouble with Tribbles, and the animated series is More Trouble with Tribbles. <laughs> yep. Two cool writers today. Yep. Then we got, oh, the person we love to hate. Tamatama played Commodore O in the series Picard. Oh, we were very worried. We were worrisome about her. We were right about <laughs> She also played Daniel San's girlfriend in Karate Kid Part 2, if you guys remember that movie. Yep. Yep. Really She's a great actress. Yep. Yep. Susan Thompson, who played the boy, the boar queen in Voyager, and Veril in the TNG episode Next Phase. She also played Gaia in Frame of Mind and Doctor. Oh, that's a lot of Lenora, Lenora yeah. Khan in TS9, the rejoined. Yep. Yeah, and that Voyager, it's very interesting because Susanna Thompson's Borg Queen uh, is so different from the one from First Contact, but I also like her quite a bit. And there are some good um, kind of continuity things when you go back and watch Voyager. Uh, you know, how can there be another queen? Well, uh, they explain all of that. So, anyway. Great and for Dr. Lenora Khan from the DS9 episode rejoined. That's the one where, uh, if you guys don't remember, where Dax's, one of Dax's wives comes from when she was a man, comes uh, to visit Deep Space Nine, and yeah. that's when they reveal the fact the that Prills are not allowed to reassociate with, with past hosts. And mm-hmm. there's a, there's a um, uh, this is where Deep Space Nine, uh, where Star Trek started to, to, to address um, the LGBTQ uh, uh, people yeah. where they had a lesbian kiss um, between Dax and her former wife before she leaves the station. It's an outstanding episode if you guys have not seen it. So I think it's worth mentioning. Yep. Sorry about the little cutoff in there. Our show notes were a little off, so I got kind of got confused on one spot. Then I'll finish off with Tra- uh, Tracy Middledorf, who played Tora Zeno in DS9's episode for The Cause. So, yeah. Quite a few birthdays. What about Jim? Well, that's an interesting one, Charles, because if you remember or not, we had Tora Zial's birthday last month. Um, Tracy is the fourth actor to play Tora Zial, and she's the oh. first actor to play her. This particular um, episode, Tora Zial was just kind of a background character and wasn't fleshed out to become the character that we all know she becomes later. Right. And, you know, Tracy just played her in this one episode, and I guess the writers liked the character so much they really fleshed her out, and I don't know why. They didn't use her to play the character again after that, but for some reason they went with a different actress who would play Tora Zial um, 
and I think it was four, four or five more episodes, quite a few mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. after this one. Yeah. But it was a different, different actress playing the same character, which is pretty cool. I guess. Interesting. <laughs> you know. Anyways, guys, uh, believe it or not, it's time for us to take our first commercial break. But don't worry, because we've got a few more birthdays to go through. We've still got some pretty good ones to talk about. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. Give us a call. We'd love to get you on the air. We'll be right back after we hear this really exciting, really awesome message from my friend TJ at Freakopolis Geekery. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Freakopolis Geekery, the premier upstate New York comics and game shop. Centrally located between Saratoga Glens Falls, Ticonderoga, and Rutland, Vermont, the Geekery is a haven for pop culture and science fiction fans. For Star Trek fans, the Geekery features board games like Ascendancy, as well as awesome gaming titles like Star Trek Adventures RPG from Modiphius, Star Trek Away Team Zero Clicks, and of course, Star Trek Attack Wing Ship-to-Ship Tactical Combat for the Tabletop. The Geekery hosts casual play sessions, learn-to-play sessions, and sanctioned organized play tournaments with limited edition prize support. You'll also find comics and trade paperbacks at Freakopolis, including Star Trek titles from IDW. Lots of issues are in stock, and special orders are no problem. Whether you visit in person by Shuttlecraft or beam in online to Freakopolis.com, you'll find yourself right at home at the Freakopolis Geekery. And we're back. We're talking about Star Trek birthdays, and I've got a few here to go through that are on my list. And uh, let's start off with Sonita Henry, who played the doctor on the USS Kelvin, who gave, who delivered James T. Kirk in Star Trek 2009. She was the doctor with the two big eyes. And um, normally I don't mention actors, characters that don't have a name however she was a doctor that delivered james t kirk so mm-hmm. that earned her a spot on our birthday list so happy birthday um the next one we want to say happy birthday to is emily banks and she played yeoman tanaberos the tos episode surely you guys remember her uh, she's the one that had the big hat on with absolutely the, with the thing flying off the top of it. So happy birthday to Emily Banks. Um, we also want to say happy birthday to Richard Poe. Now Richard Poe has a very distinguished place in the world of Star Trek because he played Golly Vec. And you might be saying to yourself, that name sounds familiar. Well, it should because he played the same character in five different episodes across three different Star Trek series. How many actors can say that? Not very Golovec. many. No, not very many at all. He played Golovec in the TNG episode Journey's End and Preemptive Strike. He played Golovec in the DS9 episode Tribunal and the Marquis Part 1. And he also played Golovec in the episode Voyager episode The Caretaker. Uh, so yeah. he's played the same character in three different Star Trek shows. That's so pretty cool. Happy birthday to Richard Poe. Now, somebody you know, said that he was the Jedi. guy that said there are four lights, but I don't think that was no. him. 
No, no, no. That's that's a that's a totally different. That's go. Uh, uh, it's not Demar. It's uh, oh man. Now I'm drawing a blank. It's the other one. It's not Gold Ducat. It's not Gold Demar. It is Gold. Ah, I'll think of that in a second. But Golovec is the one that Nachea, she says something like, he manages to make Cardassians sound like helpless sheep being preyed on by Federation wolves. <laughs> he's like the, he's, he's so Cardassian. Uh, he's one of the reasons I think the Cardassians are just one of the coolest villains in all of Star Trek. Yeah, and he he's Madrid. He's, Madrid. Uh, That's what it is. I just Madrid, sorry, Madrid yeah. is the one. Yeah. <laughs> so happy birthday to Richard Poe. Uh, we also want to say a huge happy birthday to Mia Kirshner, who played Amanda Grayson, uh, Spock's mother and Michael Burnham's adopted mother, and maybe Cybok's adopted mother. Maybe we don't know. Maybe we don't, we know. don't know what the timing is like. They've never. We don't know for sure. But uh, on Star Trek Discovery, so happy birthday to Mia Kirshner. And I really, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish that at some point in time they would mention Cybok somehow, somewhere, somewhere. You know, I can't figure out what's going on with that. I don't know if if there's like some kind of underground, like they didn't. Like, they don't like Shatner's movies thing there or something, but, like, it seems to me they need, if they're going to bring something into continuity a little bit better than it is right now, they need to legitimize Cybok, right? They need to figure out where he fits. And Discovery is the perfect, well, would have been, back in the day, would have been the perfect. I mean, they could still do memory flashbacks for Michael, maybe, to address him. I don't know. I in the Star Trek Five novelization in the book, uh, which is phenomenal, by the way. Um, maybe that's why I like the movie so much because I read the book before I saw the movie. But in the book, Cybok's backstory is fleshed out so much better than it is in the movie. And in the book, he actually commits the ultimate atrocity uh, in the world of Vulcans. And he goes into the Catriox, or um, uh, where all the Katras are, and 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 rapes the memories of all the all of the Katras that are stored there, and that's how he finds oh, yeah. out where where Shakari is. And his punishment is to be forever banished from from Vulcan uh, world forever, and to never be spoken <clears throat> of again. And so that's why that we never sense. hear him or see from him again. But but let's clarify something. That's that's after Star Trek five. Right. So we still have a lot of time before that where Michael could have met him or or you know there's ways they could get that character mentioned somewhere and not violate that. So maybe I strange new worlds. Maybe that's the place. Yeah, maybe right. strange new worlds will. It'd be nice to get Cybok recognized somewhere. Well, so maybe so, Jim. Anyways, maybe somebody after Star Trek V went in the past and erased his his his, his history line. It's like they wanted to get rid of him so badly, they went back in time and erased his history. Okay, I'm that not against be. that, but they need to show it to us. They need to show it to us if that's the case. I'm not against that, but right. <laughs> so. I've got a couple of more birthdays. Uh, we want to say happy birthday to Deep Roy. And Deep Roy plays, 
plays Teaser in the Star Trek Kelvin movies. He's Scotty's right hand man, the little bug dude yep. with the little black eyes that wiggle around. Um, and he was also an Oompa Loompa in the Willy yep. Wonka remake with Johnny Depp. And he also one of the one of the one of the X Files episodes that just makes me cringe is. Deep Roy starred as this this little sawed-off dude who would swallow um, rolls of of um, gauze and and floss his innards with it and pull Ugh. swallow and then oh oh that oh, was a nightmare when, oh, when I saw that episode Stop talking. oh <laughs> yeah so uh, he's he's. I, I didn't realize that he was the same guy that played Teaser because I met him at a Star Trek convention one time, and he was talking about that scene from the X-Files, and I didn't put together that he's the same guy that plays Teaser because I was so sickened by the, the anal flossing scene, uh, and I couldn't get it out of my brain. <laughs> but anyways, happy birthday to Deep Roy. Um, the last big one that we want to talk about here is James Cromwell. Now, James Cromwell... Um, was in Babe. He's been in a lot of movies, but and he's also had a couple of Star Trek roles. However, there's one Star Trek role that I think he's forever known with, and that's as Zephram Cochran in Star Trek: First Contact. And um, he he also he played. Pretty sure Zephram Cochran reused the same in, footage. Well, they didn't I think know he it. was in. He reshot it. Yeah, they reshot Star it Trek Enterprise. He was, I believe, in a mirror darkly. Yeah, they use, yeah, they use that same scene only when he he reaches in and pulls out a gun and shoots the Vulcan and they raid the ship. I think that that's the same guy. I think they just re re-edited that scene. Yep. I'd have to go back and watch it. Yeah, that's exactly but, true. And uh, he's had a couple of other roles on Star Trek, but I think Zephyr Cocker, and I think it's safe to say that's the one he's known for. Yeah, and, absolutely. You, you know me with the Klingons. Um, if there's a Klingon <laughs> birthday, I like to throw it in there, and that's why I saved her for last. Not a huge birthday, not as big as James Cromwell or, or Mia Kirshner, but worth mentioning nonetheless, Susan Howard. We want to say kapla to Susan Howard, who played Mara on the TOS episode Day of the Dove, the first Klingon female that we see on Star Trek. Um, do you guys remember? She was pretty cool. Pretty cool. And mm-hmm. happy, happy birthday to uh, Susan Howard, our first Klingon female. So uh, now that we've gone through the birthdays and our fan shout-outs, this is the part of the show where we do our Star Trek news. Now, all the stories that we're going to talk about, I kind of paraphrase them all. If you guys either don't believe what we're telling you because we're fake news or whatever, or if you're interested in a story and you just – want to hear the whole story, you can go to our Facebook page at Trek Talking and Beyond. Spell that all out. Leave us a like and a follow while you're there and tell us where you're from. And you can read all of these stories in their entirety. So please, please do that if you feel so inclined. And before we do the Star Trek news, we have to have an intro. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level 9 authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. Black alert. 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 Black alert.
I just love that intro. Um, I think it's so much better than our. Yeah. We think that we have something more than that. <laughs> yeah, that was just a little filler until our very own Charles worked that together for us. So thank you, Charles. And uh, we're going to start off with, you know, how many Star Trek fans out there go back and rewatch entire Star Trek series? I don't. Okay, I ne- I've never done it. Um, I, although that is a lie because I did rewatch Star Trek Picard, but that's only ten episodes, and I did rewatch each episode, each season of Discovery um, after we got done watching it because when I watch them to review them for the show, I'm I'm watching it for a different reason than to just sit down and enjoy it because I'm looking for all the things to talk with you guys about, which is different. So I do go back. I and rewatch, you know, like Lower Decks and Discovery a second time. But I've never, ever gone back and rewatched the entire series of of any of the other Star Treks. I'll sit down, watch oh. my favorite episode here and there, but I've never sat there and watched every episode in chronological order. However, however, if you've ever felt so inclined to do so, Eric, Eric, what do you have to say to these to these fans that feel inclined to do so? I have to tell you that I have some experience with this, and I was so happy to see that this story was mine because I am a completionist, and I am the person who has two distinct Star Trek timelines that I watch. My first timeline is sequentially. I'm always doing a watch-through of all of the stuff chronologically, and yes, that includes Discovery and the way that that's fitting in and all that sort of stuff. But I, then I have a second uh, track where I sort of reach out and grab other episodes here and there to study for the show. But this article tells us how long it would take to watch all of Star Trek. Yes, all of it, if you just watched it straight through. So here you go. The original series lasted for just 79 episodes over three seasons. Each episode is about 50 minutes long for a total of 3,050 minutes, meaning it would take just under 66 hours. So if you watch TOS straight through, 66 hours, eh, not too bad. The animated series only lasted for two seasons in the early 70s, and it released 22 episodes that were each 24 minutes long. So the animated series is only 528 minutes long or just under nine hours. You could practically do that in a day. That, that wouldn't be too hard. Yeah, you, you so. can binge that. That's, yeah, binge yeah. That. So let me see. Realistically, I guess original series, let's say you're watching 12 hours a day. So that's five, five and a half days for original series. Uh, you can do animated series in a day watching uh, 12 hours or less. Next Generation's episode count topped its predecessor by almost 100 for a total of 178 episodes each with a 44-minute runtime. That adds up to a series total of 7,832 minutes or 130.5 hours in just under five and a half days. There you go. <laughs> and that's my favorite. Uh, Deep Space Nine is just about as long as Next Generation with 176 episodes, only two short, each running 45 minutes. So that actually adds up to more minutes, 7,920, and the runtime equals approximately 132 hours or five and a half days as well. Voyager uh, has 172 episodes, so just a few less than Next Gen and DS9, but just about there. And those are five 45-minute episodes, so that's 7,740 minutes or another five and a half days. 
And Enterprise, oh man, Enterprise, what your fifth season could have been so cool. It got the short end of the stick compared to its predecessors with only 98 episodes in four seasons, uh, each one 42 minutes, which is about 4,000 hours or about three days. There you go. You could do Enterprise in just three days. Uh, that's why. Now, have you, got, have you noticed something? <laughs> have you noticed something, Eric? As yeah, time I have went on, as time the went on, the length of, of the episodes got less. Yeah. The emps of the leg, yeah, it got shortened yeah. as time goes on. You know, it's the same phenomenon as the fact that I know for sure a Snickers bar was larger when I was a kid than it is now. (laughs) 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 Discovery has 42 episodes in three seasons, uh, and they're about 45 minutes, so that's 78 hours. That's another three days. Uh, Short Treks, just 10 episodes, 15 minutes. That's just two and a half hours. You can do that over a lunch break. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Picard. Oh, oh, you get a Eric, you only get two and a half hours for lunch. Picard has just one season with 10 episodes, uh, 45 minute episodes. So that's, uh, you know, under 10 hours. Uh, so that's, that's doable in a day or so. Star Trek Lower Decks um, it premiered with 10 episodes, each 25 minutes long. So 250 minutes, four hours. The original film series. Oh man, here we go. 668 minutes. That's 11 hours and 28 minutes, guys, just for the original six films. Next Generation Films, another 448 for seven hours and a half. And the Kelvin movies, another six hours and 21 minutes, meaning if you sat down and you watched all of Star Trek from beginning to end, it would take just over 27 days to watch them all uninterrupted. Obviously, watching them all consecutively is impossible, but realistically, watching everything Star Trek could take less than a half year. Uh, I guess if you got a lot of free time on your hands. I will tell you that I'm in the middle of my second watch through of all of Star Trek, and the first time I did it, it took me about two years to do, uh, watching, you know, on average, probably one episode a night. So there you go, folks. 27 days. Who can do it? Charles. What do you want to talk about today? <laughs> well, one thing I surely is, I'll go off topic just a bit. I'm actually right now in the middle of binging Batman the Animated Series. The Watch the City in that series. But it's, 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 it's fun to get a series like that and start binging stuff. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know what I'm, Something I'm binging that, right now? I'm in the that? process of binging the X-Files. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, because my daughter, Jamie, never really actually saw all of the X-Files. So when they came out with that, with that final season, they came out with the six episodes, and it was so popular that they decided to make another season. So they made season 11, and they made that, I think it was 11 or 12 episodes. I started there. We watched all six of season 10 and now we're in the process of watching all 11 we're up to episode 9 of season 11 and uh, then we'll go back and and watch two or three episodes of of each season in chronological order so we catch up with on all of them and that's you know x-files is fun because it's different you know it's something Mm -hmm. it's an alien one week it's a werewolf the next week it's 
God knows what, some guy that eats livers or some guy that's doing <laughs> anal floss or something. You never oh, know what, what you're going to find. You never know. You never know. You never know. So, anyways, I'm, I'm, yep. I'm watching the X-Files. But, Charles, you have something interesting I, to talk about as well. Yes, well. I know. This was a big question from many of our fans. When they sat, when we got lower decks, and they sat there and said, well, when do we get Lower Decks? Lower Decks is now available mostly internationally on Amazon Prime Video. Star Trek Lower Decks is finally be- becoming available outside of North America. The adult animated economy, comedy arrives on Prime Video Friday, January 22nd, or did arrive. On Amazon Prime Video in the UK, <coughs> Europe, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, India, and more, with the exception of Latin America. The entire 10-episode first season is being, is being available all at once. Lower Deck wraps up its first season in October on CBS All Access, the future Paramount Plus, in the U.S., and Sci-Fi Channel in Canada. Production in season two is currently underway and expected to debut sometime this year. Can't wait for season two, and I'm glad to see. I've heard a few comments of people finally getting to see Lower Deck, and they are just loving it. They're like, oh, this is what you're missing? Man, we were missing it. They love what was coming out. Absolutely. But I did. I I'm I'm predicting Eric. Mm-hmm. I think Jim wants to talk about a Klingon. I what think so. Saying? No. Yeah. <laughs> so he's selfish with the Klingons, uh, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I I throw I throw I, I throw all the Janeway stuff at Charles, or I mean I'm sorry at Eric, and I do the Eric. Klingon stuff, and <laughs> Charles gets the in between stuff. Lower deck. <laughs> so lower deck. Lower deck. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, as you guys know, I'm a huge fan of Michael Dorn. He's one of the first uh, actors I met at a Star Trek convention as a cosplayer, which was really cool. So, my article is entitled, Michael Dorn Wants to Return as Warp in a New Star Trek TV Show or Solo Movie. Uh, this is kind of old news, but kind of not. And that's why we're going to talk about it here. With the Star Trek The Next Generation sequel series, The Car turning out to be a hit for CBS All Access, Michael Dorn is still trying to return his warp in a new show or Rogue One-style movie of his own. Between his appearances on TNG and the show's follow-up movies and his run on Deep Space Nine, Dorn has played his character more than any other actor in Star Trek history. He even voiced Worf on The Family Guy. But in live action, Dorn hasn't played the role since Star Trek Nemesis in 2002. Dorn explains that he's doing all he can to bring back his Star Trek's most beloved Klingon, and says, actually, I've been trying to get somebody in the Star Trek world to do a Warp TV series. And if not a series, then a movie like Rogue One, a kind of one-off, because I loved Rogue One. I thought it was brilliant. It's funny that people were going, yeah, but everybody died. And I said, yeah, I know. I loved it. I wrote a (laughs) script for it many, many years ago. Sometimes... There is interest, then it goes away. And I thought the Star Trek world is missing out on a character that can definitely make them some money. I thought this would be an easy sell, a really easy thing to do because the script is already written. I'm here. 
I'm in great shape, not broken down and crotchety or anything. I'd love to direct, and I'm kind of a Santa Claus when it comes to acting. I'm not interested in having more of the focus of every scene. I just love the character and want to go to work. I mean, in the end, if there's a call, I'm sure they have a reason. I just don't know what it is. The other strange thing is we have all these Star Trek shows, and Worf isn't in any of them. It's strange. It's not like I've done anything to anyone. At least, I hope I haven't. But who knows? If you guys would like to read the article in its entirety, check it out on our Facebook page. Now, Charles, you have an interesting one here up next. Hey, this is one I end up missing. So I guess I'm looking forward to our uh, soundbite. Yo, Yo Mama worked on the Star Trek theme intro into Amazing Grace at Biden's inauguration. People everywhere have been having all kinds of feelings since the inauguration on Wednesday, from dresses to performances to poetry. The Internet has enjoyed sharing their favorite moments, but one recurring favorite was Yo Yo Mama's unique portrayal of Amazing Grace which some noticed contained a special opening tribute to Star Trek and the concept of hope. Prior to his performance, Yo-Yo Mama stated, In the midst of devastation and loss, there were moments when a flickering light pointed us towards a brighter future. You brought us comfort, you sustained us, and that so light grew and has become a brighter beam in the universe. Now, when I was watching the inauguration, I'm sitting there, and he's playing Amazing Grace on a cello, and I said, wait a minute, did I just, no, I couldn't have heard what I thought I heard. Here it is, here's his complete, here's his complete rendition, and you tell me, guys, if you hear Star Trek. Families and communities, but in the midst of devastation and loss, there were moments when a flickering light pointed us toward a brighter future. You brought us comfort. You sustained us. And so that light grew and became a bright beam in the universe. This is for all of you who found new ways for us to smile together.
So did you yeah. guys hear it? Yeah, there's at least oh, yeah. four four to five songs in there, and the very, very beginning is, of course, very clearly a Star Trek reference. It's so cool. I, I did the same thing, Jim, when I was watching. He, he started that, and I was like, oh, my gosh, did, did, he, did he just do that? And then he went into Amazing Grace, and then he, he I didn't know the song that he sort of went into after that, but then he uh, finishes with the Simple Gifts song. Just a what, what a cool medley with a little bit of Star Trek flavor. And, and he was outside on a roof somewhere in New York City because I could see his breath as he was playing, so it was cold. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I looked at Karen and I said, that sounds like Star Trek. That can't be. Maybe I'm just hearing things, but it definitely was. It definitely was. So cool. So yeah, it, w- it was really cool. I was, and also I don't know if you guys noticed, but um, Stamets was also in the inauguration as well. Did you catch? Oh, him? I didn't notice that. No, did not. You know when they were doing, uh, they were doing around the world, and they had, these, they had, I think it was a, one of the Katy Perry. Somebody was singing a song. And they were cutting to all people around the world singing different verses of this of whatever that song was. Uh-huh. Um, Stamets, um, Anthony Rapp, Rapp yeah. he shows up uh, representing Glad, and he sings a verse of that of the song. And I can't remember the song, but he showed up and sang okay. a verse of one of the songs. Oh, it's actually, wow. Jamie noticed it. My okay. daughter says, "Dad, it's Stamets. Look!" And I said, "Oh my God, it is! It's Stamets." Yeah. <laughs> so, I hope you guys are enjoying the show so far. We have, uh, we have to take another quick commercial break, so don't you worry. We'll be right back. We have some Star Trek Attack Wing to talk about. But first, we have one more story that we have to uh, go over, and then we're going to dive right in and start talking about um, some fun stuff. So don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Subcommander Charles from Trek Talking, here to invite you to join us for the best science fiction-themed podcast on the Internet. Our elite team of Trek experts are here to discuss Star Trek and related science fiction content. And we want to hear from you. Dial 646-668-2433 Thursday nights from 4.30 to 7.30 p.m. Pacific Coast Time. And we'll get you on the air to share your opinion. Or you can also find us on Facebook. We have faith that you will call. And we're back. So, Eric, we have one more story to talk about, and I gave the – oh, well, sorry. Go ahead, Charles. I I was going to say a little bit of news. Since you mentioned Anthony Rapp and Glad, Star Trek, the announce the uh, nominees came out for the Glad Award, and Star Trek Discovery is among them. Mm-hmm. I saw that. I, I, Good I job, saw that. Good job. Yep, I saw that. That is really cool. Really cool, actually. Yep. I, I saw uh, they got nominated for the they them thing with with um, with uh, Stamets and Adira. I thought that was great because we talked about that here on the show. Yeah. When that episode aired, so I thought that was really cool. Just a great way really to do cool. that. And I loved it. Yep. Hopefully, hopefully they'll have an article or something a little bit more about it, and we can 
you know, I'll, I'll have an article that we can pull yep. from and we can talk about it. Maybe next week. Maybe I'll put more information out and next week's show we can talk about that. But, Eric, uh-huh. I hinted a little bit. You get the last news story for us before we go into uh, Star Trek Attack Wing. I feel like I'm feasting upon awesome Voyager news these days. So Kate Mulgrew indicated that Star Trek Prodigy, which we haven't even seen yet, is returning for a second season. Actor Kate Mulgrew seemingly confirmed that the animated Star Trek spinoff series, Star Trek uh, Prodigy, is developing a second season. In October 2020, actor Kate Mulgrew confirmed she's reprising her Star Trek Voyager role as Captain Catherine Janeway for, the Star, Trek Pro- for Star Trek Prodigy, a CG animated series aiming at attracting a new generation of Trekkies. During a recent interview about voicing Captain Catherine Janeway in the upcoming Nickelodeon slash CBS series, she seemingly confirmed season two is in development to Twitter user at Jimabean1, quote, I certainly enjoyed doing it, and I think we're going into the next season soon, Mulgrew said. That's pretty clear. While a season two renewal hasn't been officially announced, it seems as if Mulgrew is on board for one to happen. Although Star Trek's Prodigy hasn't released a season one premiere date yet, either Mulgrew has previously stated her enthusiasm for returning to the Star Trek universe. Star Trek Prodigy will center on a group of lawless teens who discover a derelict Starfleet ship and use it to search for adventure, meaning, and salvation. Star Trek Prodigy will debut on Nickelodeon in 2021. Wow, guys. Two seasons. Boom. They just said, you know what? We got, we got Kate Mulgrew. Let's do this. Let's give them 20 episodes. So I'm super excited about this news. Um, I think this is going to be a great show. I love the idea. I mean, you know, I've been talking, I don't even know for how long about how I feel like Trek needs to do more to bring their universe to kids. And this is going to be the show that really does it. So I'm super excited about this. Yeah. And also um, because Paramount plus is taking over CBS all access and Paramount plus owns Nickelodeon. I would, if I was a betting man, I would say that prodigy will be available on Paramount plus as well. Yeah, I, I would think so. Yeah. So I would think that that Lower Decks, Picard, I would think all of the Star Trek offerings, Strange New World, Section 31, will all be available on Paramount+. Plus. They haven't come out and said that specifically, but if they want to compete with Netflix and they want the international market, they're going to have to come out with their Star Trek library. So I think, I think that you will see everything Star Trek in one place, which would be it really nice. It'd be nice to have all the movies together in one place. Oh, yeah, so finally. We'll have to wait and see. But anyways, guys, guess what? Guess what? Yeah. Black yeah. alert, y'all. We are about to make the jump to some serious spoiler territory. It- all right, guys. Star Trek Attack Wing is back with Star Trek Alliance and Dominion War Part 1. That's right. You heard me correct. Part 1. And if you'd like to call and share your thoughts with us or you have a question, our number here is 646-668-2433. That's 646-668-2433. And we'll get you on the air with your questions or comments. So... We've been hearing about this this um, uh, player 
versus AI Star Trek Attack Wing game for a long time, over two years, I think. And it's finally materialized. I think COVID played a part in this problem as well. But at any rate, it is here. There's a video kicking around on Facebook. Or not on Facebook. I'm old and senile. On YouTube, you guys can go and watch. Actually, I think there's two or three of them. There's an unboxing and there's a game playthrough. So you guys can go and check that out for yourselves. But we're going to talk a little bit about what we learned from the video watching it ourselves. So we have a caller on the line already, guys. Can you believe that? <laughs> wow, Star Trek Attack Wing. We got. Let's see who we have here. Hey, good evening. Thank you for calling Trek Talk. And what's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? Uh, I guess you're talking to me. It's uh, Nathan from Vegas. Nathan from Vegas. From Vegas is, gave us the act, the second video that we watched, which is the one that Eric is going to be referencing. So, Eric, why don't you lead us off? You you have well, the cards and stuff, so. Yeah, this uh, so this Star Trek Tackling Alliance uh, system that Jim's talking about, it basically is a cooperative system. And so the pack comes with two Federation ships, and it comes with three uh, Dominion bugs. And the Dominion bugs are controlled by a card, a reference card, that based on their range to you and where they are positionally to you, uh, the bugs will take automatic movements and actions um, based on their relative position. And, and from what I can tell from watching a couple of videos and kind of chatting with some folks who uh, have had a chance to play the game, it sounds like the AI is actually pretty smart uh, and actually is able to you know, track you down and it makes it for a pretty exciting game. Um, pack comes with two generic ships, um, five crew, seven elite talents, five tech and six weapons, and uh, and I think, yeah, we're just going to kind of go through these real quick. We could chat about them along the way. We'll start with just the ships. So, you know, Nathan, I think that you made comment in our kind of private chat about this. It's kind of interesting. The pack comes with two generic ships, no named ships. Uh, the generic Akira class ship is at uh, 21 SP, which is a pretty sweet reduction from its 26 SP, so it's 5 SP off for a ship that a lot of people seem to like just because, uh, well, it looks really cool. It's kind of like an NX-01 flipped upside down. Um, same maneuver dial. And then the generic Excelsior has been reduced to 20 points, uh, which is four points cheaper uh, with an unchanged dial. So, yeah, you guys have any comments about the, the Federation ships that come with this pack? Well, I did notice. Well, I tried to pause it and, and see if I could read it, but I, I couldn't get a good enough screenshot but there are four other federation ships that have been upgraded that as you gain experience points you can move up from an akira and excelsior one of them is a prometheus which i find interesting the other three i could not read but as you go through the missions, you will have access to other ships four other ships actually um that you can use if you don't want to use the akira or the excelsior which i think is pretty cool they also hinted at on the video that they would be having other ships be made available as future campaigns come out. So maybe we'll see some Klingons, I would hope, at some point. But they'll, So there will be at least six ships that you can play. Akira, Excelsior, Prometheus, and three other ships that I couldn't make out. Unless 
one of you guys could read it a little bit better than I could. I, I couldn't make no. anything out. No, and to be and to be clear, those are you know assuming that you own those ships from Star Trek Attack Wing and that you can mix them in uh, with this game. The game actually just comes with the Akira and the Excelsior and the three bugs. But yeah, yeah, it's cool that they're bringing in some of those things. I think that these are fantastic SP reductions, um, particularly for the I mean the two classes that people really dig. The Akira is just cool because it looks cool, um, at, but the Excelsior with that 180 arc. Um, I think it's also, does an Excelsior also have a rear 90 arc, I think? So pretty versatile ship, and it's only 20 points now for a pretty good weapons platform. I think that's awesome. Well, let me do one thing before Eric goes into it. For our fans who haven't seen a lot of the discussion on this system, this system is going to run a little differently than we're used to on attack wing. Instead of going a head-to-head against your opponent, <clears throat> The AI is actually going to be the opponent, and you're given missions to work on. So this is a little bit like an RPG-type version of Attack Wing, where you've got a task to do, and you go in and do it, and then the AI takes over and takes care of the enemies that you're going in with. So we're not, that's where I think we're not going with a lot more generics is we're not really going in trying to go with a specific Star Trek event. We're just kind of going through missions that might have occurred during the Dominion War. Yeah, it's nice that your goal is not always just to kill all of the other guys. You've actually got to drive around the board and scan certain things and, you know, probably avoid combat more than you normally would in Star Trek Attack Wing because things like reinforcements keep coming onto the board. Uh, and they, you know, the AI is really smart, so they come in where it's least yep. convenient for them to come in and and uh, and block you and try to attack you. So I think that's pretty well, interesting. It's still a random location that the reinforcements come in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Yeah, I mean, you still, still do a dice roll. You never know where they might pop up. up. Right. Right. Yeah. But where we've always played OPs where, oh, you've got these tasks to do, but the players more often focus on, yeah, I got to do this task, but I want to go in and fight my opponent. You might not want to go in and just fight your opponent. You may want to focus a little more on the task at hand instead of going in worrying about, can I take out all my opponents? Well, from what I saw when I sat, when I watched the video is that, you survive to the end of the tenth the tenth round, you win the, you win the the scenario, but making it to the end of the tenth round with all these beetle bugs showing up coming after you is is not going to be an easy task. Can complete the mission and get off the board and earn your your victory points as well. So I don't think you want to stick around and battle these these Dominion ships because. If you if your ship gets destroyed, you only get half, was it half the experience points? Or you're losing one? you're losing half your experience that you're gaining. Right, you lose you lose half. Or your ship so, gets depending destroyed, on the mission. So. Right, and we only we only know the first mission because that's the only one they played. So in the first mission, it was half your experience points. So um, I think this is more in line with Star Trek because you know what we've heard Captain Pike said. 
you know, if if it results in combat, you failed in your mission. So the objective of Starfleet is not combat, but uh, completion of the mission. So I think you have to come up with a an even balance of one ship is gonna gonna delay and deal with the bugs, and the other person is gonna complete the missions. Is the way I would probably try to play it. But anyway, and this pack so Eric, what else? And yeah, this pack includes six missions, so it's uh, you know it's replayability should be pretty good. And I like Charles and, and Jim were just saying, it is a system whereby once you get through a mission, you can gain experience points and gain uh, you know upgrades, uh, gain points to spend on upgrades for your ships, making them better, making it easier to take on kind of future um, challenges. So I thought that's pretty cool. So yeah, we uh, let's talk about the crew. Uh, so we talked about the ships a little bit. It just comes with the two generic ships. Really good point reductions, unchanged platforms, pretty solid. It's nice to see that trend continue. The crew, there are five crew that come with this pack. Uh, the first one is operations officer. Uh, two points, uh, a unique per ship. It says end phase, spend an evade token from beside this ship, repair one shield on this ship. The thing I really like about Operations Officer is that uh, if you make it through a round of combat and you don't spend that evade, you get to use it for something and not just throw it away. You get to actually repair one shield, which I think is kind of a cool thing. That's a new mechanic that hasn't really been in the tack wing before. Uh, anybody have any? Anybody have any operations officer? I guess I'll, I'll, yeah, if anybody wants to break in any little time here, I just, I'm, I'll offer a little comment, but please break in because there's so much to talk about here. Um, the tactical officer, this one is a big winner, I think. Four points, unique. When attacking, disable this card, reroll any number of attack dice. So, you know, kind of the classic disable, reroll, caution actions later, but, uh, but it's nice to have that available there. If you can't get a target lock on a cloaked ship or that type of thing in particular. Uh, the helmsman is a three-point unique. It says activation phase. When this ship's maneuver dial is revealed, disable this card. Increase or decrease the maneuver speed by one, even if this results in a maneuver that does not appear on the ship's maneuver dial. Wow. That one is really cool. That means that you yep. can suddenly take ships that can do a two-turn, and you can give them with Helmsman a one-turn, which is the most coveted maneuver in the game, I think. <laughs> There's only a couple ways to do that one turn. Uh, they're usually a tiny and ship that has also, a Maxwell Forest somewhere in your fleet. You can also use it like the guy used it on the video and to get your ship off the side of the board and complete your mission by giving yourself that, that just extra boost you need to get off the side and not have to mm-hmm. deal with the beetles. Which That's is, right. Which turn is pretty a, cool. Turn a four forward into a five forward. That is very powerful. So Helmsman is a really cool card and it only costs three SP. Um, Science officer is three SP unique once per ship uh, says action place two scan tokens beside the ship. So nice way to just kind of double up on your scans. Um, well, you know, one of my favorite builds includes uh, Spock, five-point Spock, converts scans to battle stations, and Valtain on the same ship, who rerolls uh, dice if you have a scan token. If you get two scan tokens on your ship, you can activate both of those guys. And Science Officer is one way that you can do that. Um, so well, I, I want to really break like... in and talk about the previous card ability. Oh, yeah, Helmsman. Okay. Yeah. So... Um... 
uh, well, maybe not the preview, but maneuvering. Um, one thing that the, the video I linked to you guys uh, mentioned is that uh, planet tokens, for example, and going off of the 3x3, three three, going off of the table edge. The AI, the Beatles, can go onto planet tokens and, uh, and not lose their action and can still attack. But the player characters maintain standard rules about uh, uh, bumping on a planet, having to go back, and then losing their action. Uh, the other thing that I found of note uh, was, and, and again, I'm bringing this up because uh, Jim mentioned using the, the TIE Fighter 1, as I call it, the hard one maneuver, to get off of the table edge really quickly after getting your objective. The AI, if they do a maneuver that takes them off the table edge, they're not just destroyed. They actually turn around and face the table edge and can still shoot um, when they uh, go off the table edge. So I don't know if you guys caught that in the, the video I linked to you. That's nasty. That's super nasty. Yeah. Yeah, that's not well, something. I mean, that, that's an AI that's out to get you right there. <laughs> yep. Well, I thought yeah. interesting the AI goes through and says, okay, there's a random dot, there's a. D6 move D6 die used to decide how the opponent moves. And if the opponent's given a move and it doesn't work, they can change their move. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm supposed to do a soft two, two doesn't work. Oh, well, I can give her to a hard two instead. Makes it an interesting form that the AI has got some intelligence to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Absolutely. But I, the only reason why I brought it up is because Jim had mentioned the use of the TIE Fighter 1, the hard one maneuver, uh, to escape the table edge. And I was like, oh, yeah, the, the, the table edge is a thing for the, for the AIs, too. So for the bugs, too, yeah. Yeah, cool. Thank you, Nathan. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, the last crew that I want to talk about is so cool because guess who's on the card? Our man, Riker. Uh, the card is Commander. He's a 5 SP crew upgrade, uh, unique. It says, action, place one battle stations and one evade beside this ship. So that's pretty cool that that comes in the form of a crew member who gives you two actions for the cost of one action. Uh, Riker is always awesome. This one's going to compete pretty, pretty hard, I think, in fleets for uh, you know defense dice Riker uh, or... Captain Skill, Riker, some of the other popular Rikers that are out there right now. I love this card. This is my favorite crew one for the for the but set. That's, for sure. that's but. labeled as Commander, just not not unique as Commander Riker, right? Correct. So you could you could run right. potentially Captain Riker with the Commander card, which also has Riker's picture on it. <laughs> right. So yeah. Yeah, and, and something speaking, else. This game is designed for for two players. Well, kind of three because someone has to control the AI. So I, I guess it's a three-player game. But you can bring it all the way out to six players. Each person has to have one of the starter sets, and there's rules in the game for how to adjust the AI for the extra players, which I thought was pretty cool too. 
and you can play it solo. So you can run both of the Federation ships and run the AI yourself and actually play the entire game on your own, which I think there is a market for, uh, for sure. So I'm, I'm excited about that as well. And they uh, just and one comment. Yeah. Just one comment. Look at the cards. I believe each of the crew members are unique. Um, they are uh, one per ship. Yeah, they're unique per ship. So, for example, if you had multiple sets, you could take commander. Per, per, per player. Um, so they have the symbol on them that is the that's the uh, unique ship unique, uh, which means that you can put one on every ship in your fleet. So if you had multiple sets, you could have a commander on every single one of your ships. Um, that's a different symbol from the the fleet unique. Um, cards which have okay. the yellow star pattern. Yeah. So and, and um, they did mention. Yeah. They mentioned that they were that they actually were working on the Dominion War Part Two with a, with new campaigns, and he did tease a Wolf Three Five Nine campaign as well, if it sells well. So. Yeah, we'll have to see. I hope. really hope this sells super well because I do think the performance of this in the marketplace is going to be what determines whether or not we get any more, unfortunately. But, you know, go out and buy it, guys. And I want to be really cool. Yep. I want to let you guys know that are listening that if you've been wanting to get into Attack Wing and you haven't been able to find a coveted starter set, guess what? This is your starter set because this comes with the dice, yep. the range finder, the maneuver dial. The damage deck, the, everything you need comes in this set. So if you've been wanting to get into Attack Wing for a while, now is your chance. And I know a lot of the game shops have discounted all of the Attack Wing stuff because we haven't seen anything in quite a while. So now would be a good time. You can pick up those ships that have been on discount at your shop. You can pick up the starter set, and you can jump right in and play the game. So it's really a good time to do that. And hopefully it sells well enough that they put out the Dominion War Part Two, Wolf Three Five Nine, or you know other various campaign sets. So I'm really looking forward to it. I also wanted to mention, unlike X-Wing 2.0, which really kicked me off to the point where I sold everything, um, the Attack Wing stuff that's coming out for Alliance is completely compatible with the current Star Trek Attack Wing stuff. Um, the, the Alliance game is a little bit different than Attack Wing because you're getting experience points and you don't just start off with building your ship like you do in Attack Wing. It's a little bit different, but it's still compatible, unlike X-Wing where it was not. So if you're an older player like we are and you have a bunch of old ships and a bunch of old cards and this new system comes out, you're not being left out in the cold. And I think that was a good move by them as well. So that's yeah, it's kind of it's excited. kind of interesting too, Jim, because the cards do come with a special symbol on them that identifies them as part of the alliance um, system. But yeah, you're correct. You can also take those and put them in your regular attack wing uh, fleets, which is which is cool because then you can keep them separate for the game for the alliance game, but then also gets a second use out of those. So that, that's super cool. Yeah, uh, I, think that, we, I think that's a, a good thing. So look, yeah, guys, gonna, we have to take our yeah, final go we gotta take our final commercial break. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after we hear this awesome message from a great friend of ours. 
It's been a long road Getting from there to here It's been a long time But your time is finally here You can feel the change in your thoughts right now Nothing's in your way And they're not gonna hold you down no more No, they're not gonna hold you down Cause we've got faith that you'll call We wanna hear what you have to say We've got faith to believe In just talking today You've got faith in your fingers All you gotta do is sound down You can reach us right now We've got faith We've got faith Faith that you call And, of course, the number here is 646-668-2433. And thank you to Eric for that awesomely stunning rendition of our theme song. Thank you. So, Attack Wing is back, and I'm really excited about it. Um, Hopefully, the availability of this new starter set is a little bit better than the Klingon um, uh, Federation one that came out. Oh, the 2017 starter, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I you know, the thing is is that the starter sets have been very, very rare uh, for a couple of years now, and um, I think that WizKids just didn't anticipate the fact that, that those things would continue to sell over time uh, because they didn't get the surge of sales at the very beginning of the game that they thought they were going to get. So they have become pretty rare. I love the fact that they put out this set, which doubles as a starter set because there are plenty of people out there who haven't been able to get into the game and there's some other just just great cards in here. There's a nice Benjamin Cisco elite talent. He's got his picture on it. Uh, calculating. There's a couple of copies of the really good Federation um, torpedoes uh, that came out uh, in that 2017 starter pack. Um, there are other cool weapons: a 360 weapon, one that gives you an extra dice at range two. Um, you know, other really cool, uh, there's this great elite te- or excuse me, tech called detection grid that, um, buffs all of your other ships that are around you. So just a lot of really interesting new ways to interact with the game and things that I think are going to be really interesting with Alliance being a cooperative scenario. I mean, I'm so excited because I can finally sit down with members of my family who don't necessarily like to play games where the object is to kill one another. <laughs> which of course attack wing that's like the base promise right go kill the other fleet this one being a cooperative version of that i think they're actually going to kind of be into playing it and like building their characters and building their experience and that kind of thing so i'm excited for the freshness this is kind of injecting into the game well it reminds me of the the board cube that came out where they came out with that that cooperative game where you could have six or eight or ten players battle mm-hmm. the giant board cube and we played that at Freakopolis Geekery a, a lot, actually. And uh, that would be the game that I would take with me to conventions to introduce players to Attack Wing. Uh, I put lights in my board cube, and we put it in the middle of the table and say, okay, attack the board. And people loved it. And this is kind of like that. Nate, what would you say, what would you say is the thing that you're most excited about about Alliance right now? Oh, did we lose Nate? Me? Me? Oh, yeah. What yeah. I'm excited yeah, about? about? Yeah, what are you excited about? Uh, I guess new cards, I guess, would be it. 
Yeah. <clears throat> yep. New cards because it's been a it's been a long road getting from there to here for those. Yep. It has been. <laughs> so I mean, this game, if you guys can go and watch the video, you start off with six experience points. And you can't put them into your captain to start. So you have to put three in your crew, three in your upgrades. They have recommended cards for each ship, but you don't have to follow that. And that's how you start. You start off as a captain skill level two with probably one crew and one weapon to start off on your ship. And as you go through the missions, um, you get more experience points and you can buy better cards to make a better ship. So that's what it's all about. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, TJ has one on order for me at Freakopolis Geekery. So hopefully we can really do a good review on it once it becomes available. I know I'll be picking so, up my copy from Guardian Games here in Portland. Thank you for the pre-orders. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be good. It'll be good to get some new attack wing out there. And hopefully this COVID thing gets behind us and they'll have Trek Conoroga again. And we can get some attack wing out to some Star Trek fans and they can come and touch my bat lift and we can just get back to trekking again. I really miss that. So at any rate, uh, our number here is 646-668-2433. And for the rest of the show, we're going to talk about the guardian of forever. Forever, and, forever. Uh, forever, forever, forever. And we, we just celebrated the birthday of the of the guy that did the voice of the Guardian. And just as a little reminder, I, I'm pretty sure that most of you people know about the Guardian of Forever, but just in case you don't, uh, the first time that we ever see the Guardian of Forever, and yes, we see him twice, well, technically three times with Star Trek Discovery, but we see him twice prior to that. The first time that we run into the Guardian of Forever is in, I think, one of the most classic Star Trek episode ever, and that would be this one. Captain's log. No star date. McCoy has changed the course of time. What are you? I am the guardian of forever. Now. All right. Come on. Oh, how careless of your wife to let you go out that way. What? One day soon, man is going to be able to harness incredible energies, maybe even the atom. Speculation. I find her most uncommon, Mr. Spock. Murderers! I'm in love with Edith Keeler. Edith Keeler must die. It's one thing I love about TOS is their trailers were so awesome and they were a full minute long. Of course, that's City on the Edge of Forever. So if you haven't seen that episode and you want to find out about the Guardian and where he came from, go and check that out. City on the Edge of Forever, Star Trek, the original series. But wait, there's more. The Guardian did reappear one more time prior to Discovery in an episode of the animated series, an episode which I think is one of the best that they did on the animated series, and it's an episode entitled Yesteryear. Captain's Log, Supplemental. When we were in the time vortex, something appears to have changed the present as we know it. No one aboard recognizes Mr. Spock. Who's he, Jim? 
I don't know what's going on, but the first officer of this ship will be treated with respect. Captain, I assure you no one has ever treated me otherwise. Who are you? Oh, I thought sure you'd know Thalen by now, Jim. He's been your first officer for five years. The wife was killed in a shuttle accident at Lunaport on her way home to Earth. Ambassador Sarek has not remarried. The son. What was his name and age when he died? Spock. Age seven. I wish to visit the planet Vulcan. Thirty Vulcan years past. of the Guardian of Forever before we see him send Giorgio back on Star Trek Discovery. And I wanted to talk a little bit about it because time travel in Star Trek is a very interesting topic. And the Guardian of Forever mentions on Discovery that he's gone into hiding. And that's why he appears as Carl sitting in a chair by a door because um, he was abused and used during the temporal wars, which we hear mentioned on Enterprise, but we never actually see or know anything about other than that. We know they happened, but that's all we know. And we know that they use the Guardian of Forever to go back and do all kinds of time tampering and whatnot. But again, we don't know what they did, how they fixed it. We know nothing other than it happened. So I thought it would be fun to talk about it a little bit here with you guys. So Star Trek handles time travel a little bit differently. So based on the episode yesteryear, I think that Star Trek handles time travel with the multiverse type of thing, like they did in back to the future. You have timeline a and Spock goes back in time and becomes his own, his own uncle saves himself from the Kazwan creating a spur in time where he doesn't exist anymore, goes back and fixes it, comes back in time and continues on timeline one as, as if nothing ever happened. But timeline two already exists because it was created. So timeline two obviously is still cruising around out there. And the reason why I say that is because there was an episode of TNG called Parallels where we see upteen thousands of different enterprises all appearing at one time. So I think that every time we have a time split, we create a new timeline that still currently exists, but we're just not following it. We're, we're staying with timeline one. And uh, yep. so I think that's the way Star Trek is handling it. What, 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 Nate, what do you think? How does about Star Trek handling time travel? Well, I would have to agree that you have uh, several near universes out there. Not just not just referring to Parent Empire, but you brought up parallels. So all of those are a mere universe to what we know as the standard universe, uh, the canonical universe of of Star Trek. So yes, I do agree that the it, that's that's the way it, it 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 treats it. The all good things universe is a separate universe that has happened. Um, so. So, yes, I'm saying I agree with you. And I think yesteryear, uh, sorry, Jim, I was just going to say, I think yesteryear, this is one of the best examples of how Star Trek handles time travel because one of the 
kind of finer points of this episode that I don't think that people kind of remember unless they go back and watch it again is that the timeline is permanently changed. In the original timeline uh, before this episode, Spock's uh, pet Salat, Aichaya, lives and ends up, you know, dying of old age as it, as it basically grows old. In the animated series, in this episode, in yesteryear, the timeline has changed and Aichaya is killed. And in fact, at the very end of this episode, uh, you know, Spock's talking about this tiny change that happened and Kirk says something like, well, you know, the death of a pet hardly matters. And, you know, Spock's like, well, it, it matters to some. And that's a nice little insight into Spock's kind of psyche and the fact that the timeline is permanently changed. After yesteryear, you know, Aichaya died a totally different way from before yesteryear. So I think that's pretty interesting. And There's a multiverse right that there bring, in that episode. That brings up a point that I wanted to make, and that is Star Trek Enterprise. So if we're cruising along, on t- I'm going to call it the prime timeline, timeline one, and we're going – now, this is where – because Star Trek uh, was not produced in chronological order. They jump forward. They jump back. But if we start, we start off with Enterprise because that's the beginning. That's the oldest Star Trek. So we start off with Enterprise. Um, then we would move into Discovery. Uh, then we'd move into TOS, TAS, and so on. And then we move into TNG. But here's where, here's where it gets strange. So the original Enterprise timeline – there is no episode of regeneration because the Borg never crash on Earth. They never find the sphere because Picard doesn't shoot the sphere down until first contact where it goes back in time, crashes in Antarctica, Starfleet finds it, and then creates what happens from that point on. So we're technically no longer on timeline one because now the Federation's aware of the Borg where originally they weren't until Picard shot it down in the future and it crashed in the past, unless we're stuck in some type of temporal uh, loop that we're not aware of. Yeah, I think that's an, well, yes, I know where you're going with this, Jim. I think it's an interesting question because the fact that enterprise was shot later, but happens sooner kind of messes up the, you know, you have to kind of like, you have to headcanon some of it. You can't make total sense of it because if you consider the, you can't say that the things in Enterprise ever happened after any of the other things that happened in TNG, right? Technically, all of those things happened before TNG. So you have to headcanon it back and say, okay, so that means that the board, the fact that the Borg sphere was discovered on Earth was always true during TNG because it was always true as part of Enterprise. Okay. Right. Let's throw another loophole in there. Let's try yesterday's Enterprise. We actually start out on timeline B and work our way back to timeline A. Yeah, that's pretty because cool. Because that one starts in a parallel universe and we eventually tie back to the original timeline. Yeah, it's cool. I think that 
that these things all try to like, I think that Star Trek has actually done a pretty good job over the years trying to maintain some sort of linear continuity, but there's, it's very clear that there are many, many timelines at work here. And you know what? It's fun. Uh, I love regeneration. I think regeneration is one of the best episodes that they did on Star Trek enterprise. It's, it's a, it's a great episode. It's suspenseful. It introduces the board. It's a, I like it. It's one of my favorite enterprise episodes, but um, I just wanted to have some fun talking Trek with you guys and possibilities um, and how Trek handles time travel. Basically. Now, I think that episode you're talking about, at no time do they acknowledge that they are the Borg because they don't know that, what they are, correct? That term wasn't, that's correct. That's correct. correct. They were never referred to. Uh, Zephram Cochran gives his speech, and he refers to them as cybernetic entities from the future, but never uses the word Borg. Okay. Yeah. That's right. So let's but we, all know, my we all know that, We all know they're the Borg. But they it's true. Yeah. It's true. So, Jim, I, maybe this is where you're going next in our last couple minutes here, but I, I think a really interesting topic is the difference between the Guardian that we see in The City on the Edge of Forever and the Guardian that we see in Yesteryear, and then, of course, the Guardian that we see in Terra Firma Part 1. And I think that a lot of people had a little bit of heartburn when Terra Firma Part 1 came out because they felt like, Carl's powers were maybe extended a little bit farther than they remembered them being from TOS. But I guess what right. I mostly that... remember, what I mostly remember is that in City of the Edge of Forever, you know, you've got a portal that's kind of flipping through times. Uh, it can speed up, it can slow down. It, is, it has sentience because it definitely talks to them, but its abilities seem somewhat limited. You know, they kind of have to still jump through at the right moment to make things happen. In yesteryear, um, it's clear, at least to me at the beginning, that there's this scientific project going on. They're using the Guardian to go back and observe previous times. They talk about being on Orion, I think. Um, and so it's almost like the Guardian is cooperating with them, and Spock literally walks up to it and kind of dials in a destination. You know, He's like, I want to go to Vulcan 30 years ago uh, at this precise low, you know, moment in time, and the Guardian's like, okay, dial it up, boom. Spock walks through. Um, that seems to me like there's a real cooperation kind of going on between the Federation and the Guardian in uh, yesteryear. And then, of course, in Terra Firma, we get, you know, the Guardian as uh, almost as judge uh, sends, uh, you know, uh, Giorgio through this ordeal to weigh her uh, to see how she's going to react and then to ultimately determine where she's going to go and where she's going to end up. That's three different guardians but the same entity i just want to talk about that a little bit well the guardian is like a brand new iphone with different features that haven't been turned on yet basically <laughs> you know <laughs> because well i'm terrified um, he's definitely made of uh programmable matter right it seems or well, something right. that changes shape yeah. right he's he, he has changed he has definitely um altered and changed dramatically in the 900 plus years since since we see him in gar- the first time, he's definitely changed quite a bit, actually. Um, and that makes sense to me. The original... that he was, yeah, I mean, given that time travel was the center of the of the temporal cold wars, 
you know, find your sources of time travel. And those would have been the linchpins in that battle. So the fact that he had to avoid all those people forever, upgrade himself with new tech, you know, it's been a thousand years. Uh, well, it's been eight, 850 years since TOS. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I find it interesting um, that he is called the guardian of forever. So he's guarding time. So it would make sense that to me that he would be able to do what he did in discovery because he's basically, he is time, right? I think so. I mean, I guess, I guess what you kind of like philosophically have to, and I don't know, maybe too late in the show to get this deep into it, but like philosophically, if he's guarding, if he is a guardian of forever, right? What does that mean? That means that maybe there's a, what, correct timeline? Or there's something, there's something that he's trying to keep continuous that the Temporal Cold War seriously messed up, right? And he, and he was a huge target. So what, what is this master plan almost? You kind of have to take it there, right? Philosophically, if he's guarding something, there, doesn't there have to be one correct way that everything's supposed to go? Which is a little antithetical to Star Trek? I don't know. And Maybe here's the other question you have to ask yourself. Is the Guardian of Forever uh, like the DeLorean? Are there 50 billion Guardians of Forever? Is there one on every planet in every multiple universe? Or is there only one Guardian of Forever currently where it is and he's controlling everything in every alternate universe is the question because if there's multiple guardians of forever if there's more than one guardian if there's a guardian on every vega five in every parallel universe then that just throws a gigantic monkey wrench in everything because if somebody walks through the guardian of forever in universe two and goes to universe four and destroys the Guardian of Forever there, how is that going to ripple through and affect all the other Guardians? So I guess you have to, I mean, how many Guardians are there? Is there only one? Like, is Carl yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, it seems like he, there is the Guardian, but, I, you know, we don't really know. We don't really know. No, we don't. You just have to take it on faith. Because we he thought probably... there was only one Q. For the longest time, and then we find out that there's like a whole bunch of other cues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You almost you almost have to assume that the guardian exists in all the universes and somehow connects to them, right? Because the other thing in yesteryear that they talk about is when the Enterprise, the very beginning of the episode, they show up at the planet, and um, Kirk's monologue at the beginning it says something about they're they're at the point in the universe where all timelines converge or something like that. Um, I don't remember the exact words he uses, but there's a reason that they're actually at that planet and it has to do with its position in the galactic uh, continuum, I guess. So there is something special about that point. So the guardian exists there, you know, where all those intersections are happening. So it is the same guardian. If you're in universe Z, you walk up to it. Yeah. Well, and he has the ability, I think, to pass through, to control different, different parallel universes. Mm-hmm. Because I think when he sends Giorgio onto the mirror universe, he sends her to a different one than she was in before. 
because yeah. that Giorgio and Michael die in this, but I don't think that's tying into the mirror universe that Discovery Season 1 was tied to. No, because he specifically says to Giorgio in, in that scene that right now there's a Kelpian that's, that's uh, uh, changing the outcome of a, um, a rebellion or something. He says something yeah. along those lines that that, yeah. that alternate universe that she just came from is continuing on without her and that she caused a massive change. So that universe that he created just to test her is, is still going on doing its thing, even though she's not there. So now so there's, think, there's two mirror universes. There's mirror universe right. A and mirror universe B. Yeah. <laughs> Too much to keep track of. <laughs> it's fun to talk about this stuff, you know? It, it's, it's just true. fun. Yeah, yeah, because there's sure. no right and there's no wrong. It just depends yeah. on, on, you know, how you look at it. Well, and the so brilliance of what they, what, yeah, what they did do with Carl was like all the little continuous, like the fact that he was holding that newspaper, that was really special because um, that ties just right back to um, to City on the Edge of Forever, you know, and all those scenes that you see that he's flipping through in the newspapers and how they're used. So, I thought they did a good job of bringing back that TOS reference in Discovery. And it's, it's a good way to get people like, well, like my daughter or younger people that might not know that there's a Guardian of Forever episode of TOS called City on the Edge of Forever and probably definitely don't know that there's an animated series called Yesteryear. So Mm -hmm. that's why I played those clips, and hopefully you guys have never seen it. Maybe you'll go back and watch it. So uh, we're out of time, guys. So I want to say thank you to Nate for providing us with that that second uh, video. And for calling in and sharing your thoughts on Star Trek Attack Wing Alliance with us. Thank you very much, Nate. Not a problem. You're welcome. And I want to say thank you to Eric for hanging out with us tonight and Trek Talk. And it's always great to have you along, Eric. Thank you very much. Absolutely. I had a blast, guys. Thanks. And, of course, thank you to Charles. We couldn't do the show without Charles. So thanks for hanging out and Trek Talking with us tonight, Charles. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. It's always fun. It is fun, and time flies right by, doesn't it? And, of course, most importantly, yeah. thank you to each and every one of you guys listening, especially that dude down in Australia. You know who you are. Thank you very much for, uh, for hanging out and talk and uh, listening to us. We really, really appreciate that. And I want to let you guys know that next Thursday we have a special guest with us, Victoria Fox from the Avalon Universe is going to be with us and talking about their brand-new um, Star Trek fan film, Legacy. And In the Air of Darkness, I think, is the name of it. And we're going to be talking about that and playing a few clips from it so you guys can call and talk to Victoria, same bat time, same bat channel, and uh, we'd love to have you. Also, Sunday night, I'll be hanging out with the one and only Leslie Hoffman, and we'll be doing stunt treks on Sunday from 7 to 8. We're going to have a special guest on that show as well, the one and only Russ Haslidge, who's the Admiral for the International Federation of Trekkers. And he has a special announcement to make that I already know, but I'm not going to spoil it. If you guys want to hear what it is, you're going to have to tune in on Sunday. (laughs) Because that's the kind of guy that I am. So you want to tune in and check that out. It's going to be special. It's going to be fun. So that'll be Sunday from 7 to 8. 
And uh, maybe I'll talk about it on Trek Talking on Thursday after he makes the announcement. Who knows? Anyways, head over to our Facebook page at Trek Talking and Beyond. Spell that all out. Tell us where you're from, and maybe you'll hear your name in a fan shout-out on a future episode. We'd love to have you as part of our Star Trek family. And I think that's all I have for now, unless you guys have anything you want to add before we close out. Anybody? I think that's it. Let's go home. That's it? All right. We're all done, guys. I want to say thank you and good night. Stay safe and be good to each other. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Good night, y'all. All right, then. Everybody ready? Yes, sir. Let's fly. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.